Welcome to Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guest today is John Mathiason and Anthony Bland from Candy Shop Management. First of all, there's a new trend in the music business of releasing two singles at once. Yes, you heard me right. Forever in the music business, a record label would release one single and then maybe work it for four to six weeks and then release a second one from an album if there was a hit. And now the trend has gone completely upside down and a lot of A-list acts are doing two singles at once. So some of them are Ed Sheeran, for instance, John Mayer just did it, The Weeknd, Drake, Camila Cabello, but especially A-list artists are doing this. Now, the strategy behind it is you release a song that you think is a hit and another one that's the equivalent of an album track. And the whole idea is one is for your core audience and the other basically grows your audience. And you would think that it would be distracting and it would really decrease the visibility of both but that's not been the case so far for instance with ed sheeran last year he released shape of you and castle on the hill on the same day at the same time shape of you got 1.55 billion streams and castle on the hill did 520 million and this is what we're seeing over and over so this is changing everything it's changing the way we do business and basically the way we do business today in the streaming era of the music business is completely different than the way it used to be but it's working so as long as it works everybody's happy if you have any questions or comments you can send them to questions at bobbyowindercircle.com check out my hitmakers club for access to the private mixers facebook group monthly deconstructed hits mixing workshop and q a webinars and for a short time access to my core training module bonus Go to hitmakersclub.com to learn more. Now, Chartmania did a very interesting study of 39 top five songs. That's right. In the Billboard charts last year, there were 39 songs that went top five. Believe it or not, 80% of them were in minor keys, while 50% of the whole top 40 were in minor keys, which is really different than the way it used to be. What are the top keys? Well, guess what? The key of D and the key of A flat, of all things. There are no major top five songs that were in the keys of E or A major, which, of course, are guitar keys. And it just goes to show you the influence of guitar these days, which is hardly anything. As with most singles, the average length is somewhere between 321 and 340. But there were actually a couple that were over five minutes, and guess what? There were two that were less than two minutes and 20 seconds, Little Pump by the Gucci Gang and Juju on the Beat by Zy Hilfiger. Boy, two minutes and you got a hit? Wow, and you're not giving the public very much. Then again, in a stream, I guess it's best to get the best part there and get it out of the way. 80 BPM was the average. Again, pretty amazing. It was really, really slow. There were no songs that were between 109 and 122 BPM, which from the beginning of time, most hit records were in that range, between 109 and 122. There were none last year. And most songs only had four chords. And five number one hits only had one chord. I'm not surprised at the four chord songs, but the one chord song is kind of unusual. Another thing that was kind of interesting is 
a return of the pre-chorus. So most songs actually had pre-choruses. Again, it's kind of unusual to have an extra section in there, but in fact, if it works, it works. And finally, most of the songs were about men. I don't know if that's good or bad, (laughs) but anyway, we've had some interesting trends in the top 40, actually the top five last year. Let's see if this year is going to be any different. John Mathiason and Anthony Blank collectively have over 50 years of music industry experience, and since starting Candy Shop Management in 2009, have navigated the careers of the Rocket Boys, the Mowgli's, Lincoln Durham, and many others. Anthony came from a label and publishing world where he ran the International Department of Chrysalis Music Publishing in the late 1990s before moving to American Recordings, where he served as director of A&R for 11 years. John started in management guiding the career of the multi-platinum band Sponge, later went on to work at Susan Silver Management handling endorsement deals for Soundgarden and Allison Chains. I spoke with Anthony and John via Skype from various spots in Los Angeles. I'm curious about how you guys got together and, and started your business. Uh, John, I think it's your, your turn oh, you to tell, tell, tell the half-truth. Oh, I, <laughs> it's not a half-truth, it's a whole truth. Um, Anthony and I, we've known each other for uh, probably close to 20 years. Um, I um, I had a band signed to a publishing company called Chrysalis Publishing that Anthony worked at. Um, and he, they, they were originally signed by my brother, who was an A&R guy at Chrysalis. And when my brother left the company, uh, Anthony ended up inheriting uh, my band Weston. Um, who are amazing, by the way, uh, and uh, subsequently, actually, uh, you can shut up, Ant. Uh, James James Alex, the lead singer of Weston, went on to become Beach Slang, which is doing really well right now. Mm-hmm. Um, my my relationship with Anthony uh, began with me basically calling him on the phone and yelling at him for hours on end as to why he wasn't doing anything uh, uh, for for Weston. And that he was terrible at his job. Um, and then we became best friends somehow as a result of that. Um, but we've known each other for years. And Anthony was always on the A&R side, uh, whether it was the Chrysalis or American uh, Recordings with Rick Rubin. And I've always been on the management side. Um, so uh, around five years ago, we, we ended up partnering up on, an, on a band because Anthony had, had uh, started... Uh, doing his own management thing as well, uh, called the rocket boys out of Austin. And, uh, the rest is, is, uh, is history. This, this brilliant candy shop management, uh, empire that we've created, uh, came out of that. I back up that camera. Ant. <laughs> I'll put well, mine so on I here. Got, I got, I got cut off there for a while, so I can only assume that whatever he said was just everything know, I said. The was, truth. So on point, yeah. and uh, <laughs> but yeah, so so we we take we 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 our management company is basically um, for uh, to me um, something that's like almost the the best of both worlds because Anthony had come from the label and 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 uh, the industry side the the what what I was as a manager always considered the evil empire. Um, and I've always been, you know, on, on the management side. So we have a perspective on the business that I think is unique um, in regard to that because we do have a very sort of 
wider wider scope of how the industry works. He he knows how it works on 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 the um, on that side, on the label side, on the publishing side. Whereas I've always known how it works from from the from the perspective of a manager or artist trying to get signed or trying to break acts and and that kind of thing. Which I think sometimes that lends to a bit of cynicism on my side, which uh, John is usually fairly good about uh, countering. But having been on that other side of the desk, when we were talking about this with an artist earlier that we were look, talking to, um, it's you, you're you know I've had endless people march in and tell me how everything's blowing up and how amazing everything is and this is happening and you know you just have to take it with a grain of salt. So I find it uh, I'm less of maybe a salesman than John is when it comes to uh, to pushing our artists in that way. Yeah, he's he's the he's the glass half empty guy, and I'm the glass. <laughs> I don't I, I don't even have a glass. There's no glass. There's yeah, there's no glass. <laughs> All that being said, you guys came from a time when the industry was at its height, and you saw it then when it was at the height of its powers, and it's different now. So, how has your outlook especially in management changed because again the way the labels work then and the way they work now are different and management i would think has to be different as well am i right well i think i think you're i think you're right um you know when i when i first came into management it was like the early mid 90s and um yeah it was like you basically lived off of off of the advances that you got from record deals or the advances from publishing um, you know, I never thought about how much money are we going to make on touring with developing artists because I got insane amounts of tour support. Um, yeah, it was, it was flush. There was, you know, the, the amount of, I, I could, there was a point where I remember I was working with a company and I don't think I, every time I would fly into New York, I never paid for a car service because I had endless, like they would send me, you know, send for a car to pick me up at the airport. And I can't think of something that's probably more foreign now in this day and age. Um, yeah, so yeah, we've had to transition over time where we've seen the business as something and then sort of bottom out. And what we're seeing now is the industry turning back around and becoming solvent again, where, I, you know, I think for us is, you know, what we bring to the table is we've seen the transition. We've seen the paradigm shift and it's shifted kind of rapidly, um, but it seems to be shifting back to what it used to be. I, I always equate it to, you know, I, I can even go back and remember a time where vinyl was, you know, the vinyl is, has, uh, is, um, is over. The music industry is dead, like, you know, mid eighties. And then you had the boon of the, the, the CD business. And now it's the same thing with streaming, um, where, you know, physical was gone and the music industry was over. And then, well, wait a second, <laughs> music industry isn't over all of a sudden. Now it's back to, you know, back to those big money, uh, the, the, the labels are making money again and, and a, also, in a big the, way. The operative thing you said there was labels. And I think that has become such a smaller part of our focus. I mean, it's, you know, we would say it's great to be on a label if everything's just perfect. If, if the label is invested, if the band's doing well, if the entire team is really focused on your artist. It's fantastic, and there's no there's no formula that works as well. But if it's not all ticking, if you know one of those pistons isn't firing, it falls apart really fast. And I think that's why, you know, we really are focused on so many other things than just quote labels these days, and, and a lot of different alternative scenarios. We're in the process right now of weighing up 
labels versus investors versus other distribution channels. And it's really exciting. I mean, for us, it's, we both really love learning. And I think for us, it's, it's a great opportunity to constantly be reinventing and learning from everybody around you. Yeah. For managers, it's almost like a creative time. We, we, whereas before it, it seemed like there was a very, it was kind of simple in a way, you know, wind up your band, uh, get them a big record deal and then cross your fingers and hope for the best. And now we're in a position where we have more access to different avenues and in, in ways to break artists. Um, it's not as flush, but at the same time, and it takes a lot more work than I think it used to. As Ed says, it's just more interesting. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. It seems like you would have to do more work because there's more do-it-yourself involved than there ever has been. Yeah. I mean, that's good because there's more control, but it also means that you have to work harder. That's it. Well, I mean, God the, forbid the, the we minutia. actually have to work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that's, this is the thing that I think you know, whenever we talk about, and everyone talks about management, they're like, there's this idea of the manager as just someone who throws out some big, you know, ideas here and there and cut some cool deals and, you know, and then gets to sort of stand side stage and drink champagne. And 90% of our lives are taken up with the real, the real minutia where it's, you know, we're, we're not only making sure that every single last little thing is registered and every, you know, every single T is crossed um, because we realize, you know, just how much money slips through the cracks because it's not just taking one big check from a label anymore and maybe ever, you know, never seeing any more money. It's that constant diving. It's like we're panning for gold. And in the old days, you just sort of walk along and find a great big ingot sitting there on the side of the street. It's, uh, it's, got, it's gotten so intensive that sometimes, you know, it's, it's, we've used this, you know, this came up the other day. It's like usually Saturday by the time you get to be actually creative. And that's where John and I sort of have found a really good relationship in terms of the way we work. Whereas I get really, I actually kind of get kind of excited in the in the in the machinations and the in the minutia, and that sort of frees John to go out and come up with some wonderful creative ideas, and then we get together at the end of the day and flesh them out. And that's sort of the benefit of having a partner that's not you know just exactly the same as you. Wow, I'll say, oh, that's very cool. Okay, so all that being said, it's a different business. You can't rely on physical sales any longer, so now we're living in a streaming world. How do you guys see that? What's the, the outlook for streaming in the future in terms of what you guys are doing with your artists? Oh, it's fantastic. Well, I, think, I mean, I think we... Yeah, we, we're, we're, we're really excited about it. Yeah, you, you have artists that, you know, you could never, may never sell a lot of actual physical records or even downloads, you know, and, and whatever you extrapolate the number of you know, number streams to equal one download, call it 200 or whatever. We've got bands that will easily stream way more than they ever would have sold records. I think it's just because, you know, you've so many different ways of finding it. There's so many playlists you can end up on so many, it's so much easier to have word of mouth. And there's not, a, there's not that, that physical commitment, that monetary commitment that people have where they had to buy a, a download or buy a single or buy an album it's so easy to share it now and every little bit of it adds up and we're seeing even with you know some of our smaller bands we're seeing they're making more income than they would have made if they had to actually go out there and god forbid actually physically press up records and that was their only source of income and we love it we think it's fantastic i, I think i think where where it's the most positive for us is especially with bands that have ownership of their you know masters the the trade-off with being at a major label or a label of any kind is that you're giving up a, a pretty significant percentage 
of uh, of your of your uh, monies on streaming. Um, and then the question becomes: Is that is there parity in that amount that you're 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 giving up to a to a label versus you know what services you're getting from said label? And so now we're seeing a situation where you know bands can actually, like Ant says, you you're seeing potentials in revenue that we could never have seen before. And it also, you know, the, the streaming affords a, an artist if they're creative um, in terms of how they market themselves to actually break out and find an audience and you can monetize that audience. And, you know, you couldn't do that before, at least not without a lot of, you know, out of pocket, you know, the, the, the idea that you're, you know, the physical overhead is gone kind of changes the game. We, we have an art, we have a band right now that just sent us like an, an awesome single and we're like going, Oh, what are we going to do with this? And we could literally just put it up tomorrow and boost it through their socials. And if it connects and we get, you know, God forbid, we actually get like a playlist on Spotify or, you know, some sort of attention, they could basically fund a tour with the monies that they would make off of one, one song. Again, there's no absolutes in that, but you have that option. Whereas I don't know if we really ever had that option before. Well, we have access, you know, just at our level, we have access to all that data and Spotify is you know, wonderful for that. Just seeing, you know, if you, between Spotify and Pandora and bands in town and a few of those other sites that we, you know, that we use, you've got, and just this massive amount of, of data that you can you can actually use in real terms. We had the, you know experiences in the past where you know you have, you go okay well we know that our average listener is a woman in her early twenties, but there wasn't a lot of a lot of ways to drill that down. But labels had access to that information obviously, and you could pry it out of them. But now just to be able to have that in real time and know exactly who's listening, what what they're listening to, why they're listening to it, how they're discovering it is really, really helpful and it allows us to target things a lot better and ultimately, you know, hopefully saves the bands a lot of money. And because if and we it, are doing it ourselves, it's <laughs> it's their money. Yeah. And in terms of that, it's also become super artist friendly, whether it's TuneCore or Spotify's backend or, you know, any of these companies, if you're an artist and you don't have a manager and you don't have anything else and you're just wanting to put up music and trying to figure out a way to market yourself, you have, you have access to all these tools that I think for a long, long time, we're sort of behind this, you know, that fourth wall, like what's behind this, this magical thing and how, how labels can, you know, uh, uh, become successful as an individual artist with any sort of, you know, branding, um, and good songs, you know, you're, it, it, and I've, I've said it equalizes the playing field. I mean, it doesn't equalize it and pointed that out to me, but it makes, it makes it more, it's, it's, it gives you more incentive and it, and if you're a smart artist, it gives you a, a level up that I don't think we used to have in the past. So if you have a good team and you have managers and you have, you know, uh, even an agent or you have access to digital marketing companies or, or, or publicists that you can just hire on, um, you know, you could probably do as well as a major label that has a bunch more resources, but, um, doesn't have the focus on you and you can do, you can, you could probably do as well on your own. Well, I noticed that you guys started your own label. Mm -hmm. huh. <laughs> we should use that term loosely. L label. 
No, yeah. okay. The, the reason for that is that we, we were talking to um, we were talking to uh, a guy named Ron Cerrito who runs the Cold Vault uh, AWOL, uh, and I think it's called KLS or KMR system right now. And he, Ron was a guy who worked uh, our band, the Mowgli's, at uh, Republic when he was in radio there. And we said, you know, we've got all these unsigned bands. A lot of them aren't ready for a label. A lot of them maybe never will be suitable for a any real label. But we also want to we want to do a couple of things. We want to be able to maybe access some basic funding. We also want to know that if something happens, we have a team of people worldwide that we can call on. And you know, lastly, if you know, if, if there's some basic services we can get, then and all the better. And it's been sort of a an interesting experience for us, you know, just just having uh, having at least some sort of uh, platform to start from. Uh, it, it happened because you know one of the, one of the, the impetus for it was we had an artist who was getting a ton of streaming in Germany on Spotify, and we just didn't know anyone in Germany and, and Spotify. So uh, by the time we tracked someone down, it was kind of over, and we just didn't want to be in that position again. We wanted to be able to, you know, have know that we could call on someone to go, okay, this is happening. How do we get to them? How do we make get them on more playlists? How do we, you know, get them into use some use that leverage to get them into local TV, local radio? Uh, local promoters. So yeah, again, we, we we didn't we didn't go into it thinking that we were going to you know it was somehow going to be a um, a lucrative uh, business for us to to start a label. It was really just somehow for us to be able to take the artists that we already had as management clients that could utilize some of those services. Um, you know, it's you. I think for us as managers, we're always just trying to find ways to and and creative partnerships where it's going to help uh, our management clients uh, build up those platforms. We have we have such sort of we discover artists that have zero going on, and you're like, well, let's figure out what what makes the most sense in order to try to get them a leg up. And and the cobalt thing, it's it felt like that would be something that would be, I don't know, productive. And Plus there's no strings and, and we, attached, and we, so yeah, we there's, and, and, and then we can construct deals as, as a management company that are so artist-friendly to a band um, that basically it just ultimately ends up being a distribution deal with the idea of, oh, let's see if we can help develop the artist a little just further on so that if we can get attention from somebody else, maybe if it is another label or you just build up their profile so that they can take off on their own. Um, any of those scenarios is better than, you know, not doing anything. So I don't know. We like to, we love football people. So, uh, you know, ironically I had the Mowgli's at who we manage and a band called Moniker who we manage. So now all of it is under one big umbrella. Yeah. Slowly everything is going into that one system. How important is radio these days? I still think it's it, it's you know it's it's the easiest way to break a band at least at least get yourself that that huge leg up because it's still where most people do discover music or not most people but a, a huge majority of people discover music. It's passive and it's curated and it doesn't take a lot of thought and you don't have to be logging in or signing in or anything. And it, I think it's it's still a massive boon if you can get. To radio the downside is you're probably going to spend a lot of money if it's a proper radio campaign and uh you know it can't be the only leg on this on the table um it's something that when we get it we're really grateful for 
and uh, you know, at least at least it allows. I think it allows that sort of legitimacy. What it does is tends to drive the not not lowest common denominator, but sort of the gen- like brands, for example. Um, when you get something on the radio, you know you're going to start getting calls from various brands trying to do you know partnerships, and that's always a helpful you know it's sort of a helpful leg up. Um, helps sort of things take off a bit more exponentially than the grind, which you know we sort of face on a daily basis when we don't have radio. It's sort of an old school thinking to me about radio. Um, I look at radio. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it. I think on the surface it gets you out there. Um, you know, does it does it equate to bigger streaming numbers? Apparently not. Mm-hmm. Um, so is it, does it monetize an artist, you know, not as much as, say, um, getting a, a really big um, Spotify playlist? Thing. That, again, you can, that, that, that's monetized. Uh, does radio help us on the live end? If you're a live act, yeah. Does Spotify? Not as much. So there's always kind of like that trade-off. Um, you know, it is. It's, it, if most people will think if I'm on the radio, then I'm successful. Um, I think there's, there's some truth in that, but you have to be looking at it in a much bigger picture where is radio driving your ticket sales and is that driving your merchandising sales? And is there a way to, um, take all those elements and then build up your Spotify streaming numbers? Um, you know, and talking to Cobalt, you know, they look at, uh, they look at Spotify like, a lot of people used to look at alternative radio where that's sort of like the, the gauge as to whether a song is going to track well or not. Um, and it doesn't cost anywhere near as much to, to break an, to break an act on Spotify by a, a playlist than it does, um, on the radio. So there's yeah, nothing worse than spending like thousands of dollars on a radio campaign and then, that doesn't work. And then you've got to, you've got to earn that back. I mean, we always used to look at, you know, you, you could have like a, yeah, we, we spent a yeah. lot of money on, on one song for a band and we could, they couldn't crack the top 40 of alternative and we're sitting there, you know, and we're, we're putting so much reliance on that and weren't focusing on the other things that we could have been focusing on instead. It was just like, Oh, you got to break it at radio. And that's sort of like that old school thinking that a lot of labels have. Um, so you have to kind of look outside of the box if we're spending our own money we look at it very differently. We can follow a lot of different paths in terms of trying to break it. I, you know, we, we, everybody used to put a lot of emphasis on, on late night television too. You know, that way, if you get on a late night show, you're going to sell, you know, millions of records. And that used to be the case. And now you get on, a, everybody wants to be on late night, but does it move the needle at all? No, it's just, it's a talking point. And I think to some degree, it's scary to say that. I think that that's the direction that radio is kind of going, at least in my head. So it'll be it's nice, yeah. but does it move it? I don't know. Both of you guys mentioned Spotify playlists and the importance of being on a playlist. And that being said, do you have a strategy <laughs> to do that? To get an uh, artist on a playlist? Strategy. The strategy. We, you know, we're, it depends on the artist. I and mean, obviously you can, you can, you can pitch and, and and plead and get down your knees to Spotify and we do every every time every release we put out we you know we, we're very diligent in making sure that we make them aware of what we have coming up and then we have other artists that you know that don't do anything and they just happen to end up on something and we we noticed um, 
we we have one artist that you know all of a sudden nothing you know nothing with nothing going on everything started spiking and it took us a while to figure out we got finally got on the phone with Spotify and figured out it was just a um, it got added to some radio Spotify radio station and people liked the song and so they added it and they shared it and they followed the band and they, when that starts to happen it just starts to steamroll and it starts to build up in terms of you know you can hire companies yeah you know, obviously the distributor is you know we, we lean on a distributor whether it's TuneCore or cd baby or or cobalt to uh to try and put us forth for that but they you know they only have so many spots the labels have so many spots each week to try to get the you know the big the big playlists um one of my i think the ways i've sort of changed my thinking is i used to really want to get those big big playlists because you knew you were guaranteed to get 250,000 plays or maybe half a million plays without having to do anything else. And of course it's Spotify. So that's making, you know, it's actually generating money into as well as being, you know, promotion, but really it's, I think it's sort of akin to going and standing in central park and playing your music. You know, you, yes, you're reaching millions of people or hundreds of thousands of people walking by, but they're probably not the ones that you need to reach. And it's much better to go to that small club or go to the curated playlist. And that's where you really start to, to actually gain a fan base, which ultimately is more important than just getting a one week of massive numbers. So our strategy for doing it is a lot of begging and pleading and hoping. And, you know, some of oh, the, the other, and again, one of the other beauties of Spotify, and this was just, uh, this was just came up in an article the other day is it's not all about the first week anymore. You could be added to a playlist, you know, a year from year from the release. And I think they said something like 40% of records are selling more in their second or streaming more in their second year than their first year. Some really great statistic, but, uh, which is really which encouraging. Makes, yeah, that, I saw that too. Yeah. It's not about, yeah. it's that whole conversation about frontline versus catalog. And now there's no such, no such thing as, you know, dead catalog. Anything could be worked at any time. And you know that anything could, could spark. It doesn't matter when that record came out. And that's a really great thing. I think for, for artists, because it used to be that frustration of putting all your work into that first week, the first, you know, first couple of weeks. And if it didn't work, then all that, everything that went into that record is kind of over. And now you have this whole, this endless life. What we, we've also looked at in, in, in terms of how to get on those smaller playlists is, you know, utilizing our artists. Cause one of the things that we always tend to do is as we, as we, as we learn things, we try to, uh, teach those things to the artists that we're working with, especially the developing ones or they're teaching us, but you know, it's, it's outreach. It's, um, you know, having your, you know, the artists reach out directly to bloggers. It's having the artists reach out to those curators, um, and trying to work and build relationships on, on, on that level. Because again, it, it, there's something about, the way that on the, on the lower end, not the stuff that, 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 that is, um, that, that's sort of controlled by the, by the majors or, or, or influencers on that level. But if you're a developing artist, there is a way to create a network and build your brand out as an individual, um, that I don't think people had access to before. Um, you know, you couldn't be a, a an artist, a bedroom artist that walked into a radio station with your single and got somebody at a radio station to play your song and then go to another station, you know, in a different city and get them to play your song and then try to build up a career based on that. You had to have access 
to, you know, a record label or things like that. Now with, with the way that Spotify, with a lot of those Spotify playlists that are curated, you can go directly to the people who do that as an artist. And I think that that's unique. And, and then it becomes like, do they like my music or not? And are they going to, you know, uh, carry that flag and, and help me build up a, a career? So I think that that's one of the things that we do. We have a pretty significant list of, of places that artists can, you know, take their music and it makes sense, you know, for them artistically. And if there's, you know, synergy in that. Now, that being said, is there a strategy for expanding that on social media that you have? And that leads to another question, is how important is social media? Because that seems to be shifting, where at one point in time that was super important, and that's where everybody concentrated on. To me, it seems like a little less so these days. there's There's no one stream that's important anymore. Everything is important. You know, you have to be, it speaks to actually what John was starting to touch on just now in terms of Spotify and social media is there's no substitute for the artist's investment in their own work. Um, I guess the only other substitute would be a ton of money from a record company. Right. Uh, but but find, but when, when an artist is really engaged on a daily basis with their fans on social media, creating interesting content, letting them into their world, making their world exciting... When they're doing that, when they are working on Spotify, when they're, when they're you know, I know Spotify apparently always loves to see artists involved, creating playlists, um, utilizing the platform. When the artist is involved in all these facets, then there's nothing much more you can really ask from them. You know, then, then they're doing their part of the job and that we can, we can do ours. I, th- I think that, you know, not being, not being present and interesting on social media is a real, is a real deficit to your career. And, and, you know, we see it and I always say this, we don't we don't represent YouTube stars. We don't represent, you know, um, Instagram celebrities. I don't but I can stand back and look and see what they do. And there's an element of that that and speaking to that, you you know, a, a musical artist can incorporate into what they do. It's not just one thing. It's it's a, it's a culmination of a lot of little things. It is the minutiae. And that's why it's so important that artists kind of understand that i think we see a stopgap and it maybe it's like a generational thing um but it's a lot harder to to show someone in their mid-30s the 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 importance of that versus somebody who's in their mid-20s who's just naturally you know uh, naturally sort of drawn to that it's just part of their experience um and when you when you're in that kind of situation where you know, as an artist, you're creating um, interesting content all the time, whether it is just music, whether it's musical or, you know, other, other, other aspects of, of, of your uh, personality. Um, it, it goes a long, long way, a lot longer than you thought. We see a lot more interaction when one of our artists posts something very candid and the amount of um, interaction that you'll see in something like that will be like, you know, could be 10 times the, um, uh, the attention that a post about a new tour will get. I think what you're you're asking as well, Bob is, 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 you know, is being really engaged in your social media, getting big numbers, likes, retweets and follows. Is that a symptom of your success or is that, does that actually drive it the other way? And I think there is no, 
you know, sort of flow chart anymore for these things. It's a, it's just a giant mass of doing all these things, whacking every single one of these holes at the same time. And, you know, sometimes if you hit enough at the same time, you start to, you start to rise above the fray. And that's the most difficult thing because everybody is to some degree on that, in that same, in that same playing field. What would you consider your strengths to be as opposed to <laughs> other management companies? Is there something that you guys do that stands out that's different? This is going to sound really, really sappy, but we have each other. And I oh, think what you, so what you, uh, what I'm going to cry. Is, I have you know, a tear. We you know, we're, we're not one of, you know, we're not two of like, you know, 15 managers at a larger company. We're not on, you know, on our own. Um, weathering the storm. I think what you get with us is you know that whatever decisions we make or whatever you know advice we give often is a, the culmination of a lot of conversation between us. And you know, we're fond of saying we start the day uh, with something and fighting about it and each thinking that we're, we're right. And over the course of the day, as we talk about it and get really angry at each other sometimes, we do figure out, you know, what the best, um, the best possible role is, and at least we have a, we have a sort of uni- we come to a united front when it comes to actually making decisions that way. Um, you know, we've got a lot of experience. You know, we've done we've we've done this for a long time. We've seen um, a lot of a lot of you know these systems change. Uh, at the same time, we're also pretty humble when it comes to understanding our place and our artist's place in the world. So we're not. You know, we, we don't just rely on uh, just telling you that, you're, you know, you're pretty and successful and it's great and everything's awesome. You know, we have to be realistic with our artists. You know, you're going to get, um, if if not the complete brutal truth, at least a very, you know, a very close to um, honest opinion of what we think about what's going on. And I think that, you know, what our experience at, at other, you know, at a larger management company, yes, maybe you're on salary. Maybe you don't have to, you know, strive every single day to make your nut when you're, when you're self-employed like we are, you know, every single day is make or break. So, you know, we only make money if the artist makes money. We're in that weird place where we have to try to do, make decisions that will hopefully be beneficial for our artists for many, many years to come, knowing full well that, you know, they could leave at any day. They, any day they could they could decide to do something else any time. But they, you, you can never let that kind of color your uh, your opinions and your uh, and your ideas. So yeah, I think, I think even, if nothing it. else, we have a... We have that kind of, uh, we have some sort of idea that we are united in trying to help the artist move forward. Yeah, I think that 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 that's definitely a big part of it for us. Um, you know, we, I think Ann always points it out is that we don't, we don't come off and we don't believe that we know everything. We don't, we're not, we're always learning something new. Um, about this industry and about how things are changing because they change so quickly. But we also, we also bring with us a certain idea of what it used to be like. And having had the experience that we, we have, I think it gives us a unique sort of vision on what's been going on, uh, especially over the last 10 years. Um, You know, a lot of our peers have gone out of the business. Like a lot of the, the, the people that I came up with, and the people that Ant came up with, um, I would say a majority of those people are no longer in the music industry. Um, I think part of it is that, you know, it's a, it, it burns you out as a business. But I think a lot, the other part of it is that you, a lot of people just can't keep up. 
and it's been a grind. The, 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 the few that I do know that stayed in the industry got, you know, became, uh, big executives. Um, but I think a lot of it came from the fact that they were, they had the same sort of attitude that we did, which is, you know, we don't know everything and you're willing to transition with the industry as it, as it moves forward. Again, for us, we were unique in that I've been doing the management thing for, you know, as long as I have, and that's pretty exclusive to what I've been doing. So a lot of, I know a lot of the, the that minutia. That's what I came, I learned how to make, you know, put together tours, whether it was like a major label tour or a little punk rock DIY tour and, you know, tried to figure out a way to make those things, um, profitable. And with Ant coming in, you know, he took a different, you know, he, he got to learn all that same stuff and, but he's, a, he's applying it from a different perspective. And again, he's right. We're, he's type A and I'm type B and those things together give us a very unique and sort of different perspective on how to try to develop acts. I can say this, um, we're all about making our artists profitable and for the most part, we've been able to do that. Um, have we been able to break something to multi-million dollar status? You know, it's, it's close. Um, but that's not our, our focus. Our focus isn't like a quick win. It's long tail. It's we want to be with artists that we can develop and have, you know, 20 year relationships with that are profitable. Um, I, I was just thinking about this. We've been managing the, the Mowgli's uh, for five years. I think it's just, I think the, the single San Francisco came out in October of 2012. So it's a little over five years. Um, and that's been a really profitable act for us. And that was, a, that was an artist that, you know, every person would come to us and say, there's eight people in that band. And how, how is it they, they're making any money? There, there's no way they could be making money. And we'd sit back and go, well, we've been making money for this band since they started. You know, we've never taken tour support from a record label. Um, they do really, really well. They're still doing really well five years later. Um, and you look at, you know, and usually the arc of an artist like that doesn't even last that long where you can say it's still a profitable business. And it's just our perspective on, on, on how it should work. We yeah. want them to stay, you know, true to who they are. But at the same time, we recognize that this is a business. And to, to us, sometimes the, be, the, best, uh, the best success for an artist is that they don't have to have jobs. Their job becomes being an artist. And that, that's a big deal, you know? So, you know, we don't, we, we're, not, we're not buying mansions as a result of it. But, you know, it's, it's cumulative business for us as, as managers. Okay, last question for both of you. So you've been in business for yourself for a while and it's different obviously because you're, as you, you both said, every dollar counts and, and if the bands make money, so do you. So that being said, what's the best piece of business advice that maybe you learned, best business lesson, or maybe a piece of advice that someone imparted to you? Uh, I'll, I'll give you mine. And, and, it, and it relates, it was, I used to do um, consulting for a merchandising company. And the owner of the company once said, this is, this is all you need to know about business. 
and it was uh, watch your inventory and don't believe your own press. And I think you can apply that across the board. And whether that inventory <laughs> is, you know, your overhead, um, whether that inventory is the, the amount of people uh, in your band, um, and then just don't have ego in the game, you know? Those are, and I think if you have those, two, if you apply those two things, those those yeah. are great pieces of advice. Anthony, how about you? Well, I don't know if this is, I don't know if this is necessarily um, business advice, but one of the things, and I've tried to, I'm trying more and more to do this, and is you know investing in yourself. You know, you're, it's easy to give up your entire life to an artist. It's easy to fall into the you know trap of just if, if I can just make them happy, make them successful. And you start to lose sight of, of yourself. And I think that does ultimately you and everyone around you and the artists a disservice. So as long as you're invested in yourself, in your own happiness, in your own well-being, and that means like, trying to take steps away from this business sometimes and center yourself, I think that just that sets for a better person. I've certainly seen that when, I, um, when I'm sort of stressed or really focused on something or really obsessed with something, I'm not making the right decisions with, you know, with clarity. And sometimes you have to be able to put it away, turn the Wi-Fi off, and and stop thinking about it for a second. And then it's then then you know what? I guess I'm a believer in the fact that the universe will deliver you the answers, and it doesn't well, come to gave, you unless who, you're open. Who gave you that amazing advice? No, I read it in a book somewhere. <laughs> it's a lie. It was on the back of a, a, <laughs> a, a, a wonton packet. Um, no, I think that's you know, and this is one of the things we've we've we've, we've talked about more and more as, as we've developed as a, as a company, as people is that, you know, this is a, it can be a really shitty business. It can be really brutal and it can burn you out. And if you, if you, if you're obsessed on it 24 seven, you know, you, you don't have a very happy life. And the, the point of this, the point of why we're in music, all of us, you know, obviously to make money, but it's because we enjoy it because it's something interesting. It's creative. It keeps us young. It keeps us involved with people who are inspiring and, you know, sometimes you have to forget about the minutia of what that artist is doing and the bad decisions they're making or, or how much they drive you crazy. And remember that, you know, it's their art and their and their is what's there to inspire you. I mean, it's true. I mean, we just like even just today, it's just getting uh, every every day we're getting music because we have a bunch of bands putting out records. And every day I'm like, no matter how bummy you know, or how or how depressing life can be, it's like, oh, wow. These guys just delivered this amazing song, and I get nothing, to participate in trying to break it. Nothing turns around like like hearing a great song. To find out more about Candy Shop Management, go to CandyShopManagement.com. That's all one word: CandyShopManagement.com. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at BobbyOInnerCircle.com. To listen to other episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com, select the podcast tab, or go to bobbyownercircle.com, or find it on iTunes, Stitcher, Mixcloud, and Google Play. At bobbyosinski.com and bobbyownercircle.com, you'll also find a sign-in form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time. Bobby Osinski.